Sometimes people aren't perfectly clear when they're trying to communicate the fact that they are actively cheating on their taxes. So I'm going to teach you what to look for right here. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Dealmaking, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Hey everyone, um, thanks for sending in questions. I've got a question this week from Tian Wu, and uh, I'm going to read read the question. But he was watching the video I made called "Why SDE is Not Cash Flow," um, and in that video, I explain the difference between SDE, EBITDA, net income, etc. And Tian was looking at a presentation from a business broker and, and had some confusion about some of the things that were being modified or changed to get from the income that was on the on the P&L or income statement to the SDE figure. So I'm going to read the question for you here. It says, thanks, David. You're welcome. Uh, really helpful. I'm looking at a small business and the SDE is more than $200,000, while the net income is just $50,000. In the ad backs, the broker included many items, such as COGS, which is cost of goods sold, brackets, personal, meal and entertainment, cash, brackets, not reflected in books, etc. Does it just mean these are all personal items? I'm really confused by the personal cogs and the cash. Okay, so this, you know, we're going to get to each one of these. I'm going to tear it apart. But just as a, a quick recap, um, SDE, seller's discretionary earnings, is a notional description of cash flow and it's not perfect. That's why I created that video called Why SDE is Not Cash Flow. Um, so why then is it used in the brokerage industry? Well, every business is unique and everyone is running their own business in their own fashion. And in order to be able to try to make some kind of comparison between one business and another, we need some kind of basis of comparison. And so this SDE figure, seller's discretionary earnings, which is supposed to be the amount of money available at the discretion of an owner manager that works full time in a business that's the level of cash flow we've come upon we add certain things back and then a buyer is supposed to use that cash flow number and then use that as the basis for the things they need to pay for and the out of that sde number you need to bring home a salary to support yourself because remember you're working full time to earn it um, you also have to uh, pay taxes. That's not included in there. You have to cover any capital expense of any new equipment because amortization and depreciation has been added back. You need to be able to get a reasonable rate of return on the cash that you put down. Um, and I'm missing one. What was the last one? Bring home. A, oh, service the debt, right? Service the debt that you've taken on in order to buy the business, right? And so, um, when you add back all these things, you get this, this number, this SDE number. And then what we're doing is we're comparing this one business versus others in the same industry to try to figure out what other people have paid for it. Now, sometimes those other people haven't seen my video and they think that the SDE is the number they're going to put in their pocket. And that can lead some people to overpay for a business. 
So when I start to see people talking about like three times SDE, I know that that's crazy expensive, right? Whereas three times EBITDA might be reasonable, right? And this is why it's so dangerous using these multiplier numbers because if somebody says this business sells for 3X, the very next question has to be 3X what, right? And so let's talk about Tian's question because in a lot of these small businesses, what business owners will do is they'll manage the business in such a way that they lower their tax bill, right? Um, some people call it tax management. Other people call it cheating on your taxes. Uh, the government might talk, might call it uh, tax fraud, right? And so let's look at these items. So in the ad backs, the broker included many items such as COGS personal. So on a P&L or income statement, you've got your revenue, top line sales, and then you often have your COGS, cost of goods sold, or sometimes cost of sales. These are the direct expenses that are used, that are that, that are paid to serve the customer. So if you're selling coffee mugs for $20 each, but they cost you 10, then you'll have revenue of 20 if you sell one, and then the cost of goods sold will be 10, because that's your cost of that one that you sold, okay? So COGS personal literally means that the person who owned the business went out and bought something for themselves and then took the receipt and put it in their business as a business expense in their materials. So where do I see this often? People like contractors. So if you're a contractor and you build houses and you decide you want a deck on your house, what will typically happen is those guys will just go buy the lumber and they'll put that receipt in with their business expenses. So a business broker is going to say, did you have any personal expenses in the business? And the contractor might say, yeah, I built a deck on my house and I put the lumber bill in my expenses. That would be the ad back under COGS personal. Are you supposed to do that? Well, if you ask the tax man, the answer is no, right? Because what that move does is it artificially lowers the net income of the business, thereby lowering the tax bill, right? And so from a tax compliance point of view, it's a no-no. From the reality of the world of small businesses, you see this kind of thing all the time, right? And so when you see that on a presentation that a broker has prepared from you, what they are trying to communicate to you is that this person does these little things, and sometimes they're big things, to lower their tax bill, and they're trying to show you the true economic activity of the business. This is one of the reasons why you wouldn't buy a business in this condition, for example, as a share sale because you'd become responsible for all the past activities of the business. I've always said to people, look at the business, decide if you wanna own it, you can buy that business, it can be a good business and you can run it the way you wanna run it. So if you wanna run it perfectly squeaky clean according to the tax rules, then you should, and that's the way you should operate. Um, but to say, I'm not gonna buy that business because of what the seller has done, I don't quite go that far the more mischievous and the more shenanigans the seller has gotten into from this sort of tax manipulation point of view, the more protections you have to build into the deal. And this is where the ultimate cost is for the seller. I'm going to get to that at the end of this video. But um, so we've got the ad backs and the cost, meal and entertainment. So what is that? Well, if I, I mean, I run a business, right? So if I have a business meeting and I decide to meet my client at a place that serves lunch and we enjoy the meal while we're talking about business, 
then I can claim back that meal expense or part of the meal expense, depending on where you live in the world. Um, and that is a legitimate business expense because I've entertained my client, right? Um, and so what other people will do is they'll take their spouse out for a dinner and they'll take that receipt and they'll put it into the business. Again, the net impact is that they've reduced their net income, lower their tax bill. Are you supposed to do that? No, that's a personal perk. Now, here's where things get really confusing. Sometimes people will do this in their business thinking that they're getting away with something from a tax point of view and their accountant or bookkeeper when they're like doing the books will take those and put them put them against an account for like you know owner's discretionary or something and then they'll end up putting it on the T4 or the W2 right saying these are personal things and then the the owner ends up paying tax on it so they think they're getting away with something and then the bookkeeper and accountant actually cleans it up and and so when i'm dealing with business owners um, I have to probe deeply into some of these questions because I'll, I'll say, do you have any personal expenses in the business? And they'll say, yeah, my car lease is paid by the business. And what they don't realize is that their accountant is actually taking that and making it part of their compensation. And so they're not breaking any tax rules, but they think they are, right? This is how complicated this stuff can get. Um, cash not reflected in books. What is that? That is literally... Uh, somebody is paying. So if I want to look at the contractor example again, uh, I want a deck built on the back of my house. The contractor says it's going to be $5,000. And I say, hey, if I pay you cash, can I get a better deal? Can I avoid sales tax or, or what have you? And some people will take the money in cash. So I give them an envelope full of cash so I get a better deal. And then they take that cash, put it in their pocket. They don't declare it as part of the revenue. Same thing is happening as before. The impact of that is to reduce the next net income, reduces their tax bill. Are you allowed to do this? No, that's called literally the under the table economy, black market, whatever you want to call it, right? And so, so what they're saying here is they're presenting to you that this is what's happening in the business, right? Now, can they prove it? That's always my question. Can you prove that level of undeclared cash? Do you have records? Very few business owners would actually be able to prove through record keeping the amount of undeclared cash revenue they have because if a tax man ever found that, of course, they would be really in trouble because they're admitting to you know tax evasion, tax fraud, um, you know, tax avoidance is not illegal. That's when you literally follow the rules to pay the least amount of tax. That's your right, but it's not your right to cheat and do it this way. So again. This is going to cost the business seller in a different way. Um, and so we have the cash not reflected in books. And then, and then Tian asks, does it mean these are all personal items? No, they're personal business items, but they're not being declared properly. I'm really infused by the personal cogs and I explained that one. So, so in this situation, what's been happening is the business owner has been managing their income down over the course of time in order to lower their tax bill. So they're trying to save on taxes. So they've, they've benefited to a greater degree than if the business owner was operating the business correctly by the book, right? So they've gotten ahead through cheating. Now they wanna sell the business to you and they want you to pay the fair value of the business as though they were never cheating, right? And this is where my position differs quite a bit from a lot of other people in this space is I say, go for it, 
right? If, if this is the real economic activity of the business, then that's fine. However, here's the problem is that your business might be valued now with all these ad backs and everything at say half a million bucks. But according to the tax returns, the business is only going to be worth like maybe $200,000, right? So here's my big question is how then is any buyer going to be able to access financing in order to pay the real value of the business? Because you can, as a buyer, you can take these financials to a banker and say, here's all the way the guy's been cheating. This is the real cash flow. And the banker's going to go, that's very interesting, but we have to rely on the tax returns, right? We have to rely on real numbers that have been certified that people have put their name on. We have to use actual things that we can you know, believe in. We can't believe these stories because what if they're all untrue? What if there never was a deck? What if there never was a meal? What if there never was you know, any cash in an envelope, right? What if all of these addbacks of a personal nature are fabricated? What if the business really only does $50,000 a year of income? What if this is just being inflated for the purpose of trying to sucker you into paying more for the business, right? That's the danger as a buyer. So there's only one way to get around this is that you buy the business without the bank. And that means the seller ends up financing a much larger portion of the business than they might have normally. And so when I say it's going to cost the seller at some point, this is what I'm talking about. So yeah, they might be able to find someone to pay the 500000 for the business, but that buyer is going to need them to finance a much bigger portion of the transaction. And if that person has ever learned from me, like if they've gone over to businessbuyeradvantage.com and signed up for my online course and studied my books and materials and got me to consult with them on the deal, et cetera, what they're going to want is they're going to want a very large seller note, which is subject to offset in the case of a material misrepresentation. So that if you get into the business and you realize that all of these ad backs were garbage and that the business really only does make 50 grand a year, well, then you're going to say, hey, you lied to me. I'm not going to pay on this note. And you've just given yourself a huge discount on the purchase price after closing day because you're now not going to pay that note. And that's the only way that a buyer can realistically protect themselves in a scenario like this. What an amazing question. Thanks so much, Tian, for, for putting it out there. And, um, and keep them coming, guys. Um, I love answering these questions. I love helping to protect you guys from, from things that could potentially go wrong. And it's very exciting. The YouTube life is really fun. So like I said before, uh, if you really want to buy a business, you want to protect yourself, head over to, sorry, businessbuyeradvantage.com. You're going to learn about my online course um, and uh, the different consulting offers that I do. That's literally what I do all the time as I work with people and help them analyze businesses for sale. And um, with that, I'll say, see you later. And um, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me and how I work with my clients. You can learn more about my books and the online courses that I've prepared for you. You can find out about how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, etc. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free, and I'd love for you to be my guest. 
Special thanks go out to Jeff Alpaw Customs for being my tailor. Men all around the world can look dangerous, just like me, with the help of Jeff Alpaw Customs. JeffAlpaw.com. Use the code DCB10 to save. They handle multiple currencies and ship anywhere you happen to be.